Welcome to our online class, uh, first week at our webcast, and we're excited to have you guys joining us. If you have questions, you can text. We have somebody watching for those as they come in. Let's begin class with prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to get together and study, and we thank you for the way you have opened doors for us to reach out and share this message of love. Uh, We pray that you will continue to open avenues, that this truth about you will lighten the world, and we can meet you face to face very soon. We pray in your holy name. Amen. And we are doing lesson number three in our quarterly, Evangelism and Witnessing. And the title this week is Spiritual Gifts for Evangelism and Witnessing. And if somebody would go ahead and read our memory text, which is Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, please. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. As you hear this list of, uh, of, of spiritual gifts, does this represent the entire list? No. No, in fact, there's, a, there's several other Bible texts. One of them is in 1 Corinthians 12, 27 and 28. It says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having the gift of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of languages. Um, Does this represent all the gifts? Let me ask you this. Does a gift of the Spirit have to be listed in the Scripture in order for it to be a gift of the Spirit? Or can there be gifts that never were listed? Other gifts. Well, what gifts do you think are not listed in the list so far? The so far, the the ones we just read, what other gifts are there that aren't listed? Technology. Technology. Yes, isn't there a gift of technology? I think Dean has the gift of technology. I heard of a young girl who was given the gift of playing the piano overnight. So the gift of music. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's right, exactly. What else? We have one in the Old Testament where the gift of metalworking and those types of things to help with the sanctuary. Um, others? Gifts of writing? Editing? Mm-hmm. Perhaps? Publishing? Mechanical skills? Craftsmen to build. Building skills, yeah. Is there a difference between natural talents, and spiritual gifts. How would you describe the difference? Any difference? Depends on how they're used. Um, depends on how they're used. Well, natural talents are hereditarily passed on, and spiritual gifts come from God. Okay. Um, I, I uh, looked this up in the... Uh, the compare of uh, the uh, handbook Moody Handbook of Theology and describes the difference as this: that the source, as you just mentioned, natural talents come genetically through parents, where spiritual gifts are independent of parents, uh, endowed directly by the Holy Spirit. Um, that the that the natural talents are possessed from birth, and the spiritual gifts are possessed sometime after conversion, as the church has a need. Um, that the um, purpose of the natural talent is to benefit mankind on, it says in the book, natural level, and that the spiritual gift is to benefit mankind on the spiritual level, and that the process of the natural talent must, that it must be recognized, developed, and exercised, and that the spiritual gift must be recognized, developed, and exercised. So there's no difference in that. And that the function of the natural talent is, uh, that it ought to be dedicated by believers to God for the use of His glory. And the uh, spiritual gift ought to be used for God's glory. So I, I thought that was a pretty reasonable distinction, didn't you? Yeah. 
Um, do you guys have any questions about the gifts listed in Scripture? The spiritual gifts. Any comments, questions, thoughts you've always wondered about? How do you recognize that? Oh, yes, okay. And the next question in Sunday's lesson, does every member in the church receive spiritual gifts? Yes. Yes or no? Do you know yours? I see some heads nodding. Does everybody know their spiritual gift? I see some not so sure. Um, and then the question, how do you know? How can you find out? How can you discover? Yes? I think one way is through um, validation from others. You know, like if you're a good singer, people will want to have you sing more. And if you don't sing well, they want to ask you again. I <laughs> think... <laughs> <laughs> But, so, so we could actually say from the evidence of applying or acting on that gift and then the, the fruits or the consequences or the results that actually bear out in reality, are there good things, good fruits that come from it? Are there um, you know, less responsive, less positive things that come? So getting feedback of various kinds, yes? I don't think we give each other feedback enough. And I don't think it starts early enough when our children are baptized and then just affirming that as a body of Christ. I, I would agree, yes. One of the most valuable things I did when I moved back here from California was take a structured spiritual gifts inventory uh, class you know, where it was you know, it was laid out with all the gifts, and you had to, you had to go through and fill out uh, a number of, of uh, answer a number of different questions and solicit feedback from others, uh, and it led you down a path to identifying spiritual gifts. Now, some of these... Some of these uh, are better than others. Well, my, I mean, you know, my, my question on those processes, truly, the question that pops into my mind is, are those identifying gifts or talents? Um, not, not that talents can't be used for the church and the benefit, and blessed by God too, um, but are they identifying things that you didn't have until conversion, that were given after conversion? Yes. Do spiritual gifts and natural talents have to be mutually exclusive? No, 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 I don't think so. I think the Lord will bless your talents as you are dedicated and committed to Him. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But I do think there are specific gifts that uh, that were not genetically given. I think uh, the example of the of the Old Testament um, skills in, in, in working with metals and things like this, this was clearly a gift given that wasn't necessarily there beforehand. Uh, languages or speaking in languages popped up at, at the evangelistic meetings and out of the blue people could hear um, their, their, in their own language. Um, so I, I see there's a difference, but I don't see necessarily there's a difference in what we should be doing with them. Would you say what happened to Moses before the world, after the wilderness was a spiritual gift versus Moses before the wilderness? You mean his 40 years in the wilderness? Yeah. The gift of a changed character? The gift of the capacity to lead effectively, as in before killing the Egyptian after giving his life for his people. Uh, what do you all think? That he got this capacity to lead effectively the 40 years. So 40 years of working with sheep helped you lead people? Maybe so. Maybe so, yes. I would think his, his training as a military leader uh, helped him in that area, but God had to help him unlearn a few things to get him to do it the way he wanted it, to do it. Yeah, an administrator, leader, teacher in, in Egypt taught all this, the things of an Egyptian administrator and organizer. I'm sure those things were helpful too. That would be an example of natural gifts and spiritual gifts. God, God had to humble him. Second paragraph in, two, in Sunday's lesson, it says, um, 
We have already seen that every believer has a ministry, so it should come as no surprise that God will equip us to perform it. Therefore, everyone who takes the great gospel commission as a personal evangelistic mandate from God will be equipped by the Spirit to become involved. Regardless of the church's soul-saving work, God knows what is needed in what place and at what time. What do you think about that? Comments? Do the equipping of gifts, do you believe that as you commit yourself to Christ, uh, accept Him as your Savior, experience the renewal of heart that the Holy Spirit will provide you with various gifts, abilities to minister for Him in some way? Yes? Yeah, I I think so too. Um, Do those gifts and abilities come fully developed at that time? Or is it something that you will need to develop with application? Some say need to develop, or it comes able to be implemented, but it gets better with the application. Maybe I should put it that way. Yes? If you have a gift or a talent that's committed to spiritual purposes, then I think God will enhance that. Enhance it. Okay, I like that. Speaking in a language that you before hadn't been able to speak, that's pretty intact when it's given. Yeah, the the language she says pretty intact when it's given, and it seems to me as I look at that that particular gift, it would seem to me more a gift of hearing than a gift of speaking. Mm-hmm. And although the speaker was just speaking the way they always spoke, but people were hearing it in all the languages that they knew, and so I don't think there was much learning that the speaker had to do there, did they? Yeah, so it seems to me it was more like the Holy Spirit showed up to act as a universal translator in that particular gift. How about the gift of miracles? A lot of you know education going on there. That was one of the ones listed, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't think there's a lot to learn other than the confidence and trust God and maybe learn when to you know call on God and ask him to heal and when not to. Yeah, but uh, probably not a lot of physiology was being learned there. Not a lot of biology was being learned. Probably not. But maybe the gift of healing, which is different than the gift of miracles, maybe that gift uh, brought with it some education and insight into the pathological processes. Once someone receives a spiritual gift, is it like other gifts, like if somebody gives you a gift at Christmas or a gift at your birthday, when the Holy Spirit gives you a gift, a spiritual gift, is it like other gifts that it's yours to do with as you will freely? It's your gift. Or does the spiritual gift function by the continual interaction with the Holy Spirit? In other words, the Holy Spirit is enabling and providing you the ability to continue to use this gift, and only in unity and harmony with the Holy Spirit does the gift work. Yes? Samson certainly had gifts of the Spirit that were used in a wrong way. Well, see, this is a great example. So let's look at Samson. Thanks for bringing Samson up. What was the purpose of giving Samson... Well, first off, do we agree that Samson's strength was a gift of the Spirit? It wasn't just genetic. Okay. What was the purpose of that gift? What was it to be used for? Why did God give him this gift? To help build up, edify, promote the well-being, health of the nation of Israel. That was his purpose, right? Did the Spirit control how Samson used that gift? Did Samson, in other words, did Samson have great leeway in what he was going to do with that gift? Was everything that Samson used that gift for beneficial to Israel? No. Did Samson eventually lose this gift? And I want you to notice that. Why? Why did Samson lose this gift? Directly connected to his obedience or disobedience. 
So this gift, while it was given as a gift to Samson, and he was given huge leeway even to do some foolish things with this gift, was there a point at which that gift was removed, and, and you say because of his obedience? I'm going to suggest another idea that is connected directly to obedience. That in the act of defiance or disobedience, Samson chose to sever his connection with the Spirit. And it was only the Spirit working with him that enabled him to do these things. Um, did Samson get the gift back? Yes. Why did he get it back? Did Samson have a change of heart at some point in his life? Or was it simply his hair grew back and, and the magic hair growth allowed him to get his gift back? What do you think? Hair or, or reconnected heart? Reconnected heart. Do you think Samson regretted losing his gift? What about Solomon? Was Solomon given a gift of wisdom? Did God control how Solomon used that gift? Did he have also great leeway in what he used his wisdom and discernment and mental capacities for? Did he always use them to bless Israel? Did Solomon eventually lose that gift? Now, some... It's not Because it's not physical, it's not quite as obvious, but I'm going to suggest to you, my view is, that he did. I would suggest to you that Solomon, like Samson, when he turned to pagan worship and the sacrificing of his own children, that that was not very wise. There was not wisdom in that. That was an evidence of a loss of wisdom. What do you think? Is it wise to sacrifice your own children to a pagan god? So I'm going to suggest that very act reveals to me that he had lost his wisdom. But, did he get it back? Late in life, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And the Bible says that it was holy men of God and moved by the Spirit to write the Word of God. And so evidently he got wisdom back. How did he get this gift back? The source of wisdom. Change, same thing. Change of heart. And I, just, I hope you see the process. Does being gifted by the Spirit mean you can always hold on to that gift? Necessarily, independent of any action or choices you make. Or will your choices and actions determine whether you continue to uh, be able to exercise that gift? Yeah. Yes. So you're saying, uh, you've mentioned a couple times, God didn't control that. Basically, if God controlled it, it wouldn't be a gift. Yeah. So God, yes, I would say that's right. How about this one? We've gone through two examples, gift of strength, gift of wisdom, both given by God, both misused, both lost, both recovered. How about this one, the gift of prophecy? The ability to prophesy. It's a gift of God? Can you think of anybody in the Bible who got the gift and lost it? Balaam, she says. I was thinking more of King Saul. King Saul, if you look in the scriptures, he had the gift of prophecy. But did he lose it? Now, did Saul get the gift back? He did not. Why? God was, uh, God was playing favorites, didn't want to give Saul the gift back, was, was unwilling, uh, you've gone too far, I'm not gonna, uh, uh, you've, you've offended me too much, uh, Sam, Samson didn't offend me quite as much as you did. Oh, she says he never reconnected. Saul never humbled himself and repented to open his heart to the Spirit. The Spirit couldn't, will the Spirit force his way into our hearts? No. Could Saul, if he would have chosen to repent, 
been reconnected and gotten his gift back. I believe so, yes. I think the scripture is very clear on that. Is that encouraging to you if you've, if you've been somewhere in life and maybe stumbled and fallen and maybe uh, find you're not as effective in working for the Lord as you might once have been? Is it encouraging to realize, hey, the only barrier to me uh, uh, going on for the Lord is, is me. The Lord's not holding me down. The Lord's not holding me back. The Lord is probably there begging you, hey, let me in. I'll, I'll, I'll clean you up. I'll fix you. I'll, I'll restore you. I'll, 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 I've got a gift for you. Monday's lesson, first paragraph says, to a certain extent, a person's spiritual gifts define his or her place in the local church. In other words, the dis- to discover spiritual gifts is to discover where the Lord wants you to function in the body. Uh, have you ever been asked to be involved in an area for which you just had no passion or interest? Do you know people who've accepted church positions only to resign partway through the church year because they felt that they were the wrong person for the job? Most likely in these situations, people have been asked to undertake in some instances, and in some instances have tried to become involved in a church ministry that they are neither called nor gifted for. Though this does happen, it doesn't have to be the norm. What does it mean to be called? To receive a call from the nominating committee, pastor, or elder? If you get that call, then you've been called. I've been a member of churches, several churches that had a membership of about 20 to 40 people. And then you come to a community like this where there are so many, many talented people and so many positions to be filled. Uh, There's a difference in serving on a nominating committee in a community where you have 20 members and you have to find people to fill those slots. And And so what are you saying? Uh, you, you've, you've made an observation of a reality that some communities are small, some are large, some have more people, some have less. What's the conclusion? What are you implying? You're finding people that have to fill different positions that may not necessarily be qualified to, to do that, but yet they are, or certainly don't feel that they're qualified. But then they have to take that position and do the best that they can. With it. All right, now let's think that through. In the context, what are we, what are we talking about right now? What's the lesson today about? Natural talents? Spiritual gifts. So what should we expect that if, with a sincere heart, our church has a need for a particular role function, that the Spirit would provide it? Or was that presumption? If we have the need, and we have people willing to fill the need, should we expect the Holy Spirit to enable people to fulfill that need? Or should we expect us to not, to force people, you know, Square, you know, round, round pegs into square holes, force people into situations where they're, they're not going to be able to function. Or should we expect, if they don't have that natural talent, that if they're willing, the Holy Spirit will enable them? What should be our expectation? But Margaret's got all the right answers right here. Okay? She says that we should expect that the Spirit should provide. Do we expect that? Because I was honestly hearing your description as, well, we really can't expect a small church to have people function in those roles. That's what I was hearing you say. You might not have meant to say that. That could have been the way I heard it. But were you kind of saying that? No, I just was expressing the fact that when you're serving on a nominating committee in a church of that type, to try to find people to be willing and also to feel capable of filling different positions. But what makes us capable? Many times I have to say that they're depending on what they've 
previously experienced or what they feel they feel like they can't do. So do you think sometimes the Holy Spirit leads us to a place where we don't have in our own self the ability for the purpose of getting us to look to him so that he can work in us to develop us beyond our current human level? Did he lead the children of Israel to the Red Sea to be trapped there for a purpose so that they would look to him to provide for them what they could not provide for themselves? Do you think when it comes to gifting that the Holy Spirit places us in positions that he wants us to look to him for deliverance, for enabling, for building up, for gifting? Or am I being presumptuous? Uh, Over here and then Russell. I was just thinking if we flip that situation around, uh, somebody who has a natural talent that tries to use it in the church without being connected with the Holy Spirit, they run into the same problem that Judas ran ran into. Did, Did you hear all that? I think there's truth in that as well. Somebody with a clear natural talent that tries to use it in their human strength without dedicating themselves to the Holy Spirit, without letting the Holy Spirit edify, enable improve upon that that talent has the risk of becoming arrogant and self-righteous and Judas-like in their functioning. Judas had evidently some very natural talents and skills, some real abilities, but he came to believe they were his own. His own. It sounds very much to me as we read the story of Lucifer in heaven. Lucifer had, was created with lots of talents and abilities. We might call those natural since they were instilled in his creation, even though they obviously came from the Spirit too. Um, but he had those, and he began to think they were innately his own. That they didn't come from God, that he self-possessed them. Didn't he? So I think that's right as well. We may be born with certain talents, and if we don't dedicate our hearts to the Lord, we might become self-absorbed. Russell? Well, I think you're right on. Five, six years ago, when you asked me to fill in, when you were gone, it was not what I felt I was gifted at. It felt It really wasn't what I wanted to do. So I had to I had to run to you know, the comfort of our Savior and and step out in faith, and and I also had to put some work in myself, and and now it's a much different scene, a much different story. I think that's exactly right. If there's a need and we're sincere and willing, the Holy Spirit will generally equip us for that need, don't you think? If that need no longer exists, then you lose that gift. She says, if the need no longer exists, do you lose the gift? Did those, and I'm going to suggest, based on what I'm about to say, no. After the need to build the temple went away, did those people lose their skills in working with metal and working with jewels and working with all the things they work with. In fact, even today, generations later, I think it's still in the gen- genetics, that the Jewish people are very talented working with jewelry, working with, uh, with all types of artistic stuff. I mean, they're very artistic in, in, in people, music artistic, um, um, craftsmanship artistic. I think they are, they're blessed, and I think that is passed down through the generations because of that gift. So I don't think we lose it. Yes? I think with being called, we also sometimes are uncalled, and I think some of us just aren't ready for that. Uh, she says sometimes we're called, sometimes we're uncalled. What do you mean by the uncalled? Well, you may be in a position. It doesn't mean it's going to be for life. Okay, uncalled to fulfill a certain role, but not necessarily ungifted. Right, but I mean, I gotcha. that's just part of listening, too. And also, too, we have a responsibility to listen to the Lord on who He sees fit. So, because I think a lot of times our personalities and our preferences affect us. So, for instance, Jonah was called to go to Nineveh, Right. But that call had a termination point. It, the Nineveh repented, and that calling for that particular mission was over. Right. Yes. Zoe. 
Christopher from Alaska has a, a comment. Okay. Um, question, actually. Um, so is he saying the spiritual gifts become genetic gifts also? You know, that's a, that's a, a great question. Thank you, Christopher. Um, you know, I, I guess I don't have the full answer on that, but uh, knowing how we function biologically and the research that's coming out on epigenetics, uh, the behaviors we engage in, the choices we make, actually do cause gene expression changes. And those gene expression changes can be passed down uh, through the... And that's from human decision-making. The human choices, we can actually alter our gene expression and pass those things down. So I would think that there is a basis there to conclude that when God gifts us with a certain ability, it can alter, alter how the genes are being expressed, how the neural circuits are developed, and we can pass some of those um, gifts down. I think it gives us an opportunity. You were saying earlier that sometimes the spiritual gift is given and then developed, and sometimes it's fully intact when it's given. But I think it gives us the opportunity as the body, as the church, when God is gifting someone, when the Spirit is gifting someone. We as the body need to be nurturing, accepting, building up that gift as it's growing in somebody, rather than, like he was saying in a small church, sometimes it can be, or in my experience, even though God is trying to develop a gift in you, it can be almost criticized out of you. So the calling, when Jesus gave the parable of the, uh, of the wedding and the invitation went out, remember the invitation went out? Is this a calling? Were they called? Were they calling people? Yes, we've all been called. The whole human race has been called. Have we not? Called back to a relationship with Christ, called back to salvation. Um, and what about calling to a particular um, function, ministry, clergy, teacher? What about a calling to a specific thing? How do you know that calling? Is it, is it a feeling of conviction? Is it a desire for the office? Is it a sense of duty or obligation? James says that uh, in chapter 1 of James that we are tempted when we're drug away and enticed by our evil desires. So if I have a desire for a particular office, is that the calling? Or is that a temptation? Do people ever believe they are called by God to a certain role when they're not? Does God ever gift people because the person asks for the gift? Are we not told in James to ask for wisdom? And God gives abundantly and freely to those who have faith and believe? Yes, seek the best gift, Paul says. Yes. Do you think we ask for gifting enough? Do kids ask their parents for gifts? Why don't we ask God for gifts? For enabling, for wisdom, for discernment. I can tell you in my practice, I ask regularly that God give me wisdom and discernment to help my patients regularly. And I believe he does. Do you think we ask enough for the gifts that enable us? Or do we only ask for the crisis interventions? Part the Red Sea, I'm about to drown. <laughs> but it's scary to ask for those gifts. We, then we might have. You see, if we ask for the gift, we might have to be responsible. Do something, right? Right now, I mean, we're we are a culture of, uh, of what is it? Watchers, um, um, viewers. What is it? They sit in the bench and watch on the sideline. What spectators? That's what I'm looking for. Thank you. We are a culture of spectators, aren't we? Is is Christianity a spectator sport? Is it? But have, has, has even the church historically, traditionally, in, inculcated, indoctrinated, uh, uh, habituated the idea that as a member, you're a, you're, a, you're a spectator. You come, you sit in the pew, 
and you and you watch and you cheer and in some churches you can even applaud some churches you're not allowed but it's still spectator i mean we uh, hopefully you guys are getting a feel that we are really trying to push you to become participants to get on the field to not stay in this in the spectator role um what kind of things pardon we're supposed to be spectators in evangelism, especially. Spectators in evangelism. <laughs> what gets in the way of discovering our spiritual gifts? Because the idea earlier we talked about how can we discover them. I actually wrote down some things that obstruct our ability to discover, and I'll just run through a couple of those pretty quick. How about fear? Does fear get in the way of discovering your gift? Anger. Anger. Uh, the Lord, uh, the, you know, the Lord wants to have us be peacemakers, but in some organizations there can be conflict and anger. Does that obstruct discovery of your gift? How about selfishness and pride? Or hurt feelings? These can just, yeah. How about this one? Misconceptions about God. Or false beliefs about what the gifts are, how they work, and their role in the church. Like, for instance, what about a woman being gifted with the gift of being a pastor? Might she be overlooked if she's taught her entire life only men can be pastors? So could false beliefs get in the way of discovering gifts? Organizational, institutionalized false beliefs get in the way. How about other beliefs that might obstruct the discovery of spiritual gifts? How about our beliefs about healthy living? Do we undermine our ability to be gifted and be used by God if we are very, very unhealthy? If your brain is being damaged by alcohol, drugs, and other things, are you undermining your ability to be gifted? And if you believe it doesn't matter because you were saved in, you know, at 19 in an in a evangelistic call, you went down front and got on your knees and accepted Jesus, you're saved, and it doesn't really matter now. Marijuana helps you with your anxiety. Uh, that's not going to un- undermine your gift, is it? Or will it? Yeah, it will. Marijuana is completely destructive to the brain. And I, I say this because I've gotten a little bit of a pet peeve going on this marijuana issue because there are states now where it is common practice to prescribe marijuana for people with anxiety disorders. And I consult in, in one of those states. I'm a consultant via video link. And I've had patients that I've interviewed that have anxiety disorders and they treat that by smoking marijuana regularly. And they have a prescription from a doctor to do it. And it's completely destructive to the brain and worsens their anxiety and interferes with their ability to develop their prefrontal cortex, which processes limbic system stimuli and calms their, their anxiety down. So they're just cycling down, down, down and losing their ability to be self-governed. So what about television and video gaming? Could this interfere with our ability to discover our gifts? Yeah? All right, I'm going to jump to Thursday's lesson. Hopefully we get some interesting stuff in Thursday's lesson. Some, uh, somebody read for us the second paragraph starting, It is significant. It is significant. It is significant that the three main chapters that list spiritual gifts all do so in the context of the church body. This shows that although an individual may be involved in a witnessing or evangelism event, on a personal level, as with Philip and the Ethiopian treasurer, we each have the ability, the responsibility, to exercise our gifts through the church. Now, I've thought about that, and I have some questions. What church? We each have responsibility to exercise our gifts through the church. What church? Is that a single denominational church? 
is that all denominations, is it the church invisible? Margaret says the church invisible, so we've, she's ruled. <laughs> Margaret, Mar- I, I, I'm, I'm going to agree with Margaret, and I'm going to lay, lay the groundwork through some questions why I think that's correct. Was Martin Luther gifted by God? Anybody, everybody agree with that? And when the organized church booted him out, did he lose his spiritual gifts? Does this tell us something? If the gifts of the Spirit are given by God for the health and benefit of the church, and they are not lost by the person when the organized church rejects that person with their gifts, what does this mean about what constitutes the church as far as God is concerned? Did you follow the question? In other words, does God look at the church through denominational boundaries? He doesn't see those, does he? Christ said he had other sheep that were not of this fold, of the Jewish fold that he was talking about. What should you do if you know what your gifts are, but the organized church won't let you use your gifts? <laughs> I'm laughing because somebody over here made it funny. He said, start your own class. <laughs> Did Jesus have the gift of teaching? Now, follow, follow this now. Jesus was clearly gifted, was he not? Of course. Did he wait for church leadership to recognize his gift before he taught? Did the disciples have gifts? Did they wait for the organized church to endorse them before they began ministering their gifts in God's cause? Should we strike out on our own and, organize, and, and ignore the organized church? What is the balance between following God's leading and gifting in your life and receiving the endorsement of the organized church? What's the balance? What do you all think? Where's that balance? Probably in that principle somewhere. Any thoughts? Yeah. You should obey God rather than man. If God is leading us in a direction, and it's it's clearly seen, and I'm saying man, but the organized church is saying, no, you can't do that. You should obey God rather than man. Yes, right here. I think it's important to be spirit-led. It's clear that there are times when you need to step out when the church does not agree. It's also clear that there are times when it's wrong to do that. I think the only way we can know the difference is when the Spirit leads us, and that requires being in a very strong relationship with the Lord, with the Spirit. And the Spirit leads by? By the Word, by the hearing of the Word. Okay, so when you say the Word, another way of saying the Word is by evidence and truth. True? Okay, what else? Sometimes handwriting on the wall? Sometimes. But not often? No. Not usually? Not, sometimes the miraculous? But not often. Isn't the vast majority of the Spirit's leading, he's the Spirit of truth. He gives wisdom, discernment, understanding, truth. Understanding God's principles, God's methods. Operating in harmony with God's design protocols. Isn't this true? Does God, do we win the war against evil by practicing Satan's methods? No. So, so anytime we're, we're going to be, you know, having a, an idea to implement an action that violates God's methods, 
then something's wrong with that, isn't it? Like misrepresenting people so that we can, you know, get them pushed out of a particular uh, invitation or, or, or ministry so we can get that speaking slot instead. So we're going to call behind the scenes and gossip and, and try to ruin an opportunity for somebody else. That's not God's method, is it? Do you think that stuff ever happens in the organized system? All the time. All the time. But we, we wouldn't practice those methods. No. Truth presented in love, leaving people free. This is the method. Um, fifth paragraph says, Spiritual gifts must be used responsibly, and the best way to ensure this is for the receiver of a gift to maintain an open communication channel with the Spirit. We have a responsibility to maintain the unity of the church. If we are Spirit-led, there will be the desired unity. The Spirit directs individuals, and He directs the church. The direction He gives to one member, He gives to the whole church. The Spirit does not lead individuals away from the body. Do you think Martin Luther had a desire for unity in his heart? Did Martin Luther seek to cause division and break the church up? Or did he seek to reform the church to have greater love for God and greater unity? Did a break come? Did a break come? Yes. Should Martin Luther have given up his um, insights, wisdom, truth that he'd been revealed in order to maintain unity? Throughout history do we find that spirit-filled individuals led to reforms and those reforms brought division with the church leadership? Christ said, this is Matthew 10, 34-36, Do not suppose I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn man against his father and daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and man's enemies will be the members of his own household. What do you think Christ is speaking about here? Physical violence? Was he talking about the sword of, of made out of metal that he wrought? The sword of truth, right? This is the sword he brought. I brought the sword of truth. What does the sword of truth cut through? And what happens if we live in, in, in relationships, in families, in, in communities in which there is a community-held lie and you are, are enlightened with the truth? And you begin to share the truth in a community where everyone believes the lie. What's going to happen? Will there be unity? Well, the world, it says in, in, in Isaiah, it says that darkness covers the people, gross darkness the people. This isn't physical light. It's talking about lies covering the minds of men. Jesus is a light which lightens all men, Yes. He came to be a sword, a sword of light to, to cut through the lies. Jesus said that the, gates, that the gates of hell cannot prevail against his kingdom. And, you know, gates are what kind of weapons? Defensive. Satan is on the defense. He's taken the world by deceit. He holds the world by lies. He holds human minds by lies. But the gates of hell cannot stand against, lies cannot stand against the truth. We are to be purveyors of truth. But the truth will necessarily cause division for those who are operating on the lie. Should we seek unity at the compromise of truth? What do you all think? We shouldn't seek unity at the compromise of truth. We should or should not? We should not. But as I understand through the last few years with this class, 
the, the, the most fundamental understanding I have is the understanding of the doctrine of atonement and reconciliation. And I think it's really, really important that while we do not seek unity at the loss of truth, we also must keep in our hearts always, always, the tenderness of atonement and reconciliation. Why is it we don't seek unity at the loss of truth? Why? There's, a, there's an actual reason. Because you can't be unified without truth. There you go. It's like, why don't we seek healing without using proper medicine? Why don't we seek healing by uh, putting um, manure in wounds? I mean, that's really what it is. You put lies in people's minds, it's like putting manure in wounds. You can't heal a wound with manure. You can't bring unity with lies. It can't be done. It only brings disharmony and disunity. So that's why we can't do it. Not because we wouldn't want to have unity. It's just not possible to have unity based on lies. Is that not right, guys? Let's look at Christ's ministry again. He was spirit-led. He had spiritual gifts. Was he misusing his gifts because his ministry led to a breakdown of unity with the organization in the organized church of his day? Did his ministry cause a breakdown with unity in the organized church of his day? Was he misusing his gifts? Or was, was there a breakdown because the leadership held to lies and wouldn't embrace the truth? As I consider the next question, I found myself this week quite disturbed and sad as I was looking through history and looking at the evidence of history, and I found myself actually becoming a little frightened as uh, what path we might go down and not go down. But I want to ask this question for you. Can anyone here think of an example in history where the leadership of an organized, established religious order or organization stood on the right side of advancing truth. Can you think of an example in history where the leadership of an established religion stood on the right side of advancing truth? Or is it not the case that every time the leadership was opposing it? And it was quite sad for me to realize that. Quite disturbing. But I, can't, I couldn't find an example. And then, does the Spirit lead individuals away from the true body of Christ? It does not. But does the Spirit lead individuals away from organized churches? What would those, remember this paragraph we just read, the direction of the Spirit, uh, it says the if we are spirit-led, there will be desired unity. The spirit directs individuals and he directs the church. The direction he gives to one member, he gives to the whole church. The spirit does not lead individuals away from the body. Those who wrote that paragraph, what would they say if they were having a Revelation seminar and persons from the Revelation seminar that were attending for the first time from a Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Catholic, or other denominational church, uh, after hearing the message, said, I went and talked to my pastor, and my pastor said that the spirit does not lead us away from our church. What would the people who wrote this say? Would they say, you're right, stay in your church? Or would they say, wait, 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 wait. See, I, I just found problems the way that was written. I agree, the Spirit never leads away from the true church of God, the, the invisible body of Christ. 
but the but but the, but the spirit does lead away from organizations that may not be benefiting a particular individual or may not be doing the work to to lighten the world for his coming. My view is this: that the spirit always works in the heart to transform the person to be like Jesus, and leads us into unity of love and in the practicing of godly methods in our lives. Then the Spirit leads the individual to the place where the Spirit wants that person to be, where the Spirit can use that person. And here's some examples. Jesus, filled with the Spirit, was led to the wilderness. And then he was led to the temple to confront the leaders. Notice that. Not to get the blessing of the leaders. Elijah was led by the Spirit to confront the kings and the spiritual leaders. Paul was led to the desert by the Spirit, then to the Gentiles, and at times confronted the spiritual leaders. Stephen was led by the Spirit to to Jews in Jerusalem to confront the spiritual leaders. John the Baptist was led by the Spirit to confront the nation, the king, and the spiritual leaders, the church of his day. Timothy and Titus were led by the Spirit to the churches in Greece and Asia Minor in conflict with various local leaders. I found a pattern here. Did you find a pattern? Does it disturb you, this pattern? Because I'm going to tell you, my view of history and my view of humanity, both worldly and in the organized systems, is that the, those in authority and power want to indoctrinate and inculcate people to be passive and followers and not thinkers. Political power people want the masses to go along without thinking. That's, that's my view. They use fear and they use, they use all types of tactics to make you afraid. Watch this political race in America going on between now and November and you watch the rhetoric that comes. The rhetoric will be very rarely, if ever, something that's designed to bring you peace. The rhetoric is going to be designed to frighten you. If you vote for him, he's going to ruin your life. You're going to be starving. We won't be gas to put in your car. You're going to have your Social Security taken away. You're not going to have insurance. Your, your kids are going to die on the street if you vote for that guy. It's all designed to invite, invoke fear. And the same thing go back the other way. Your life will be ruined. It will be worse. You notice when Christ went out and preached? He preached the gospel of the kingdom of love. A completely different way of approaching people. Do you notice often in religious organizations, it's also the fear message. If you don't accept Jesus as your Savior, God will burn you in hell. You will suffer for all eternity. You will face the judge and you will be punished for your sins. Fear. And my, my view is that, that, that oftentimes it's about disempowering you and getting you to shut your brain off and trust them, to follow them so you can feel safe. But the whole message of Jesus Christ is you were created in the image of God. You were created with your individuality, your own ability to think and reason. You were created to be a dwelling place where God will dwell by his spirit. And you are to be ennobled, recreated, regenerated, renewed, and to become a self-governed child of God in his image, a powerhouse, a light unto the world, where the Holy Spirit will shine through you to challenge Seriously, how many of you are comfortable challenging church leaders? We are conditioned not to. Those are God, that's God's man. Don't ask questions. That's God's man. One of the, one of the accusations that came against me was that, well, I wasn't respecting God's chosen and anointed. That's, that was it. God's anointed said this, and who am I to question it? 
You know, I'm a person who studies the evidence of history. You could take that same argument and say, who is Christ to question Caiaphas? Caiaphas was the high priest, not Christ. He was in the office. But he should have just been listened to, right? No, we listen to truth. Truth is the truth no matter who's saying the truth. It doesn't change. God's character, God's methods, God's principles are constant. They never change. And our goal is to operate in harmony with those principles no matter who says them. Isn't that true? Yeah. It's disturbing. I was very disturbed as I looked back in history on this. Does it disturb you to realize that too? And I you know, had a conversation with the Lord for some humility that I don't end up in a position like that. Because I don't want to end up in a position where I'm opposing advancing truth. I want to be, that's why I've said in here, and I'll say it again, I don't want to arrive at the truth. One of the constructs in your mind that causes you to resist advancing truth is this idea, we now have the truth, this is the truth, we must defend it. I want to be a person who realizes God is infinite, I'm finite. There's an infinite gap there in what I know and understand between the reality of who he is. I want to grow in that truth. Whatever I understand today, I want to advance upon. I want to develop. I want to discover more. Uh, probably have to lead me to remodifying things. Very much like a doctor. When you're reading the medical literature, how does scientific knowledge develop and expand over time? It builds on many things that are solidly, uh, solidly established in the science, but as it's building, it's often undoing other pre-held ideas that you thought were the best at the time. Do you think spiritual knowledge advances differently than that? That it's building on things that are very solidly established, but it's also reframing and re-understanding other things that you thought was really the best way at the time? I think it's the same way, isn't it? It should be. But do we? Do we allow for that? I think one of the problems is we've got this truth. We take it on faith. We don't ask questions. The, the brethren have decided this is what it means, and, and now we have to defend it against all other ideas. So then, as the Spirit leads people, uh, as the Spirit leads people to where the Spirit wants them, the Spirit then works to bring unity amongst the believers who love God and His methods and His principles. The Spirit works to bring us into a harmony where we work together. Wednesday's lesson, lesson makes the point that not everyone is gifted with the same gifts for a reason. Paul uses the metaphor of a body. Body wouldn't be very good if all the parts were a foot, or a mouth, or an eye. That's this the point he makes. It makes perfect sense. We see that very readily. Church wouldn't be very good if everyone had the exact same gift, whatever that gift was. The gift of teaching, we're all trying to teach. Nobody's listening. We're all trying to, um, you know, healing. We're all, all of us are healers. Somebody's sick and there's seven, 75 of us trying to get in there to heal the person. I mean, we're getting each other's way, right? How many, what's it say, the old saying about cooks in the kitchen? Too many cooks spoil the broth, she says. Yeah, how many, we're all gift, gifted with cooking, and so we're all in the kitchen trying to do it at the same time. It really doesn't work well, does it? Whatever the gift might be. In the military, um, for every soldier who carries a weapon, there are multiple soldiers behind the scenes supporting that soldier. Multiple ones, more, three, four to one at least, soldiers in support roles, in order to make that combat soldier effective in his mission in order to fight the war. And in fact, one of the best strategies to stop an advancing army is to cut the supply lines. You make ineffective the non-combat soldiers, and you have made ineffective the combat soldiers. Is there a spiritual lesson there? Those who are on the front line of spiritual warfare, the the evangelists, the preachers, the teachers, and, and so forth, those guys are effective only because 
there is a whole squadron of people behind them supporting and organizing and providing the resources. And, and I'm going to get to your hand just a second. Okay, uh, and I just want to finish this thought. The whole squadron of people behind them, how many were able to go to the open house at Heartwise Ministries uh, TV student, studio this week? You see, that came about because of a whole group of people working behind the scenes to develop this TV studio. And there will be people behind the scenes every time we do a program. Like right now, there are people behind the scenes running cameras. Um, and, and there will be at the TV studios answering phones. There will be people running computers, updating websites, organizing and planning, preparing materials. We've got five people right now working on new study guides that we're going to be that we're in the process of developing. Uh, those people are, are, are integral to be able to send this message forward. We got people that pray for this ministry uh, and the advancing truth every day. We have people uh, supporting financially and more. One person, two people can't send this message forward. It takes a team. We're on a team. Are we not? Yeah. Go ahead. Um, backtracking just a little bit, uh, Joel from California wrote, is Dr. Jennings saying all organization is bad and all people in authority are corrupt? Ellen White said, the church is God's appointed agency for the salvation of men. It was organized for service, and its mission is to carry the gospel to the world. How do we do this without being organized? I think I just answered that question. We couldn't be effective without organization. My, my, I guess my point was simply, though, that our organization needs to be individually intelligent. We need to think for ourselves. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to lead in our lives and take us as the individual into the organizational group where the Holy Spirit wants to use us rather than allowing some predetermined organization that we might have been raised in to tell us that we will have this, in other words, to dictate to us. So I, I do think that, that there's, the Holy Spirit does organize. I do think the church is God's resource on earth. The question in that, in that uh, quote that he, he sent in what would be, is, is that the church invisible? Or is that a denominational church? Does the Holy Spirit only work through one denomination? Do we really believe that? Or does the Holy Spirit have his agents, his true members, working to shed the light everywhere that he can possibly have somebody? Yes. Now, do I believe right now on earth there is one denomination that has been blessed with perspectives, insights, truths about their controversy, the war over God's character, above all others? I do. I absolutely do. But I don't believe the Holy Spirit restricts his work to that one organization. I think the Holy Spirit works on all hearts that are willing. And he wants to have people in our organization. So the, our ministry is, and Heartwise Ministry, want to bring people to a true knowledge of God, his character, his methods, his principles, his way of running the universe, the issues in the great controversy, and allow the Holy Spirit to lead that person where the Holy Spirit can use that person the best. This is the kind of evangelism we're talking about. Rather than the idea, it's true evangelism bringing people to this, this true relation with God, his methods, his kingdom and leaving the Holy Spirit to decide where the Holy Spirit will use that person, or is true evangelism making sure everybody that you reach joins a particular denomination? Which do you think is the, the, the true evangelism? I mean, this, this is our heart passion. I trust the Holy Spirit will bring people in. I think he wants people that know this message, know this truth about God, know God's kingdom of love, to be telling it in all the churches. And then when the, when the real shaking comes, there is going to be a mass influx from all the different groups because they've already heard the true message. Isn't, isn't that right? How can we be the salt to the earth if we're, all, if we're conglomerated into one little group that never, never out? He needs people everywhere. That's, that's my thought anyway. Maybe if, if you think that's not right, show me. Yes. 
I think it's possible to be organized and of one mind, but not have an abusive top-down hierarchy also. Does Christ lead that way, dictatorially? No, he got all power, John 13. All power was given to him. What did he do with it? He washed dirty feet. He served. He led by example. Were there any other comments, questions? I think we have a real privilege and a real opportunity. The Lord is truly opening doors right now um, for this message to go forward. Uh, And um, I, I certainly don't want to suggest anything I said here today should be antagonistic to anyone. My only point in saying what I said today was to bring people to an awareness that you have a responsibility as an individual with God to be healed in your heart and let the Holy Spirit lead where he'd have you be rather than to blindly conform to a system or an organization uh, just because it's organizational. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I, and I, per, and I per, uh, personally pray that the organization I was raised in it is, it is, it's, I see it kind of like the, the, the nation of Israel 2,000 years ago, God's chosen people, blessed with all the various oracles and things to, to help the message go forward, yet it was very sick and it wasn't doing its mission, but yet the, the disciples in Christ tried to, to revive it, tried to, to work through it, tried to wake it up, because if it could have woken up, if it could have embraced the truth, it was set to, to, to share it to the world. I see our church that I was raised in in a similar way. It has been blessed with all types of truths, all types of, of insights, and, and, it's, and it's around the world. And, it, and it's there ready to, to give this message if it can wake up. But it slumbers and sleeps like the ten virgins, five wise, five foolish, slumbers and sleeps. And I, I want to see it wake up, embrace this truth and take it. But should we wait for organizational leadership top down to, uh, to bless us, to press the truth forward? Or should we go and just take the truth the Lord has given us forward as best we can? And that's what I think we're trying to do. Take the message to try and stir the hearts of people, to wake them up, to take this message to the world. Because I personally believe if we would do our job, the Lord would come. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gifts of the Spirit. I think we pray too little for your gifting, Lord. And we want to turn our hearts to you and ask that you will look into each one of our hearts. See what obstacles are in the way that prevent us from experiencing your gift. Remove the obstacles, the fears, the insecurities, the doubts, the the distorted beliefs we may have. Whatever it is that stops us from experiencing your gifting, help us remove those obstacles. And then, Lord, we pray that you will see how each of us can be used most effectively, how we can come to a unity of love, a unity of purpose, a unity of mission, and how we can experience your spirit to enable us to fulfill the purpose you have for us, that we can be effective in taking this message of love your kingdom of love to the world, that you can come soon. We pray in your holy name. Amen.